We want to welcome everyone this morning to our Bible study here. This will be lesson number five in our flyover of the book of Revelation. We are traveling in a slow plane, obviously. However, we hope that this journey today will be something that you will be happy to look at. There is no book in the Bible that ends with greater victory, more triumphant victory than the book of Revelation. It is a book that, unlike every other book in the Bible, is filled with information that most people find very, very mysterious. Some people find it beyond challenging. It's not easy. It's a very, very complicated book in many ways. And in other ways, it's very simple. Nonetheless, it's the most controversial book in the Bible. And for that reason, there's an old saying that little boats should stay close to shore and not drift too far out to sea. So I will keep our little prophetic boat fairly close to the shore, lest we drift out into a current and get swept away and get lost at sea in the world of prophecy. Book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. And who's the prophet? Jesus Christ is the author of the book of Revelation. And it ought to speak loud and clear. Because there are people today that are looking for a prophet. People believe that there's got to be a prophet raised up. But I would have you to know that according to the Bible, and I'm just resting my case on the Bible, the Bible that I have, and my I think I have the same translation you have, the authorized King James Version, it says that God in these last days has spoken unto us by His Son. That's Hebrews verse. 2 verse chapter 1 but it says in verse 1 that in former days he spake by the prophets now the book of hebrews tells us that jesus is the prophet the prophet we ought to look at the book of revelation is his prophecy and the last prophecy given in the new testament era is also from Jesus in the uh, Olivet prophecy found in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, and Mark 13. All of that prophecy belongs to uh, Jesus as the author. So I think that's important. Now here's, here's what I'd like to do for the book of uh, what we're going to look at today. We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 20. We're, we're at Revelation 20, and this is, of course, of all the chapters in the book of Revelation. This is the one 
that many people have lost their eyesight reading trying to decide that their interpretation is better than anyone else's. So everyone typically in the Christian world has regarding the book of Revelation chapter 20, they either end up being what is called pre-trib, post-trib, or a-trib, or no trib at all. Or they end up believing that Jesus will come before the millennium, after the millennium, or not at all. So there's a world of varied opinions about chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. The Protestant fathers didn't do a lot with the book of Revelation because their minds were focused in a, in a real point of theology quite different from eschatology. So they didn't deal that much with the book of Revelation. But the evangelical world has. Now the, world, the evangelical world, and that's primarily the, the religious majority in America, they have been paid up, prayed up, and ready to go up. They are ready to escape this whole mess and go up in the rapture. And they base that on the, partly on the book of Revelation. And they say they're not worried about the book of Revelation because all the judgments in Revelation will not impact them because they are going to be out of it. Caught up. So they're trying to get paid up and prayed up so they can go up. That's called a fire escape religion. Did you know that the rapture doctrine did not even have a place in the theology of the world until about 1820. The rapture is a Johnny-come-lately doctrine. And any doctrine that comes your way, whatever doctrinal wind is blowing past you, if that doctrine does not have a root in apostolic Christianity, you probably can count on it being wrong. Isn't it amazing that the apostles didn't know anything about the rapture? The church fathers didn't know anything about the rapture. But the evangelical world will tell you anything you want to know. They even made a big movie called Left Behind. Left behind. Well, do you know that the Bible actually says the ones left behind are the ones that are going to make it? The ones that will not make it will be caught up in other ways than they imagine. But I'm going to read a verse out of the Bible that you may have heard many times. But let me read it one more time for you. 
and it will be coming from the book of Isaiah the prophet. So here's what it says in Isaiah. This beautiful book called Isaiah. I'm in the prophet Isaiah. It shall, be, it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Now the verses before that or after that, I should say, are those who have been washed away in the filth of that age. So I pray to be left behind if there is a rapture. I want to be left behind, but frankly I think the left behind theology needs to be left behind. So we not, we're not going to talk about the rapture. It has no place in Revelation. But we're going to turn now to Revelation chapter 20. And I'm going to ask you, and that includes all boys and girls and everyone that has a Bible, to open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter number 20. And we're going to be reading... From Revelation 20, if everyone could turn there now, Revelation 20, and I would like to have all the young people stand, all the young people stand, and I would like them to remain standing, and we're all going to read together, young people are standing, I'm asking them to stand because I consider them of great importance. I want them to be seen. Revelation 20, verse 1, together. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should not deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years now we're going to stop for a moment, but stand, keep standing. 
The first six verses of this marvelous chapter tell us the introduction to the thousand-year millennial reign. Now, there are people, and many, many of theologians in certain parts of the Christian world, who believe that all of this is allegory, that it's metaphorically, spiritually speaking, it is not literal. They do not believe this is literal. They do not believe that Christ will rule on this earth for a thousand years like we just read. Now, we're going to take a position that the Bible says what is true, what is literal. We believe what we're reading is true and going to happen. It's literal. And we do not believe it's already happened. We don't think the thousand years has already come and gone as some do. We mentioned that this is a controversial book. Now our little boat of prophecy is still close to the shore so far. So far we've read the word thousand, if I read correctly, five times. The word thousand meaning mill, millennium, we've already read it five times in these first verses. But let's now begin the next segment where Satan is bound. Now this is the only time in the Bible where Satan is put away into bondage. So let's read about it. We'll begin in verse number 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever, and we'll stop there now. This second portion of chapter 20 is where Satan is bound for a little season. And during the time that he's bound, there will be 1,000 years of peace in the absence of Satan. Now, can you imagine a world of 1,000 years in duration where Satan, all his demons, all fallen angels, and all evil spirits are bound and not operational? That would be quite a world. And so... Now we've added the word thousand once again. So now we have that word thousand that has appeared again. We're going to begin now with the last portion of the chapter. Revelation 20 is divided into three parts. And we're going to read the third part now, which is the great white throne judgment, for lack of a better title. 
We'll begin with verse 11 and we'll end at verse 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And was according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thank you and you may be seated. Now it's hard to believe that out of 15 verses... Voluminous books have been written that encompassed discussion on this chapter. So I'd like to remind the congregation this morning of what we read in the Bible regarding prophecy. This is something we all need to think about. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19... 20 and 21, the Bible says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And it goes on to tell us, that no prophecy of the Bible is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21. So we don't have any private interpretation. That is why we're keeping our prophetic boat tethered fairly close to the shore, lest we drift out into the sea of prophecy and somehow get lost. But we're going to do the best we can, so I'm going to ask you to, all of you, take an oar and help us move our boat as far as we dare to move it without getting lost at sea. Now, when we look at the book of Revelation, folks, if there's any book in the Bible that ought to cause us to want to pray for divine help, this is the book. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we humbly acknowledge that as you have so wonderfully said in the Gospel of John, except it be given him from heaven, a man can know nothing. We humbly acknowledge we know nothing as we ought to know it. And Lord God, we are wholly dependent upon Thee to guide us in our thinking of the book of Revelation. So thank You now for blessing everyone who has opened the book. And we praise You and thank You 
And we give you all glory and honor and praise both now and ever. Amen. The, bu the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says you will be blessed if you read it. You're going to be blessed every time you open the book of Revelation. It's, it's going to be a blessing. It's really quite a book. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. First of all, I'm going to remind you again that Revelation 20 sets up a millennial kingdom of a thousand years. That's sometimes called God's Sabbath. Because the Bible does tell us that one day with God is as a thousand years. So the millennium has been called by some theologians God's Sabbath day. It's just God keeping his Sabbath. A thousand years is as one day. So think of it as God's great marvelous Sabbath of rest wherein Satan is bound and can you imagine what kind of a world would develop if there was Jesus sitting on the throne of world government? Can you imagine how the world would develop if we only had God's law? Remember the verses in Scripture that says, And the glory of God's law filled the whole world. Can you imagine a world without the enemies of Christ being anywhere around. It would be a world that we can't, it would be the utopia that many people have dreamed about, an absolute utopia. So at the end of that thousand years, Revelation 20 unlocks the prison and turns Satan loose again. For a little season. A little season. And during that little season, he goes out and tempts all the people that were in the natural state that were not ever tempted yet, because in a thousand year reign, no one's being tested that much. Satan is bound. And there's no one in that kingdom from his horrific kingdom to test anybody. But at the end of that thousand years, Satan is turned loose. And knowing that he has a season of time, he unites a whole group of nations together called Gog and Magog. And they go up on the camp of the saints where the city, the capital city of the millennial kingdom is located. That's Jerusalem. And they go up to the beloved city and assault it and try to overpower that kingdom. What happens to them? We just read where God brought them down. 
I'm in Revelation, verse number 9. They went up to the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So God fights the battle of Gog and Magog at the end of the little season. God does it. He brings fire, brimstone upon them. Thereafter, we have this great white throne judgment. Now notice that all the people in the first resurrection are not in the white throne judgment being judged. Go back to verse 6. Read it with me, if you will. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. First resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. Those who are raised in the first resurrection will be raised to glorified bodies and they will be a class of people in the millennial kingdom who will be living in glorified bodies that will have been resurrected from the dead. The rest of the dead live not again until when? The thousand years is expired after which we have the great white throne judgment and that is uh, a, a part of this story that is really quite involved. So if you were to look at details in the book of Revelation chapter 20, you could make a long lengthy study out of it. You could build several sermons out of any one of the three that we've talked about here, the three sections. Now we're going to do something strange now, church. And I'm depending on all these good minds in this congregation. All the good minds, and that's, I'm trusting is everyone. All the young people that can think very clearly can follow this. We clearly see what Revelation 20 teaches. It teaches a literal kingdom on this earth that's going to last how long? 1,000 years. The word millennium is a word for thousand. The end of the thousand years, Satan is going to be put in a prison. A correction, he's going to be turned loose from his prison where he's been bound for a thousand years, and now for a little season he's going to go out and try to organize and bring as many people with him to assault the capital city, the king, and his people. Fire comes down from God and destroys him. Now, after this, we have the great white throne judgment. But what comes after that? What does the book of Revelation say follows a thousand year millennial reign? Well, I'll keep the boat close to shore by just asking you to turn to Revelation 21 verse 1. Revelation 21 verse 1 follows 
after Revelation 20. When the Bible was first written, chapter divisions were not even in the, in the uh, text. The Bible was carved into chapters for our benefit. So just suppose that verse 1 of Revelation 21 was just still part of the narrative. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This introduces us to the time after the thousand-year millennial reign, which theologians sometimes call the eternal age, where time is no longer measured at all. The millennium has a time element, a thousand years. The eternal age has no time limit. It goes on into eternity. So Revelation 21 and 22 are that which follows the thousand-year millennial reign. Now, there's a world of theologians that would change everything I just said and move the pieces like checkers on a checkerboard all the way around. So here's what I'm going to do today. Because of the complexity and the confusion that has associated itself with the book of Revelation, chapter 20, I'm going to drift into another part of the Bible and attempt, notice I say attempt to show you, that the book of Revelation, chapter 20, that puts Jesus in the earth in a millennial kingdom, Jesus comes before the thousand years begin before the thousand years begins, according to the theology that I believe the Bible teaches. Now, a lot of people will differ for the, with that. But I'm going to try to demonstrate that that's what the rest of the Bible teaches. That the rest of your Bible synchronizes with the book of Revelation. So let's see if that from your point of view, is possible. Now, where will I turn? Do you know that I could equally turn to the book of Isaiah to find a replica of what I think happens in Revelation chapter 19 and 20? Or I could go to some of the other prophets because do you know that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and most every prophet prophesied of a kingdom that would come to this earth. We call ourselves kingdom people because the Bible is a book of kingdom promise. And we ought to be standing on the promises of God and believing what the Bible teaches. So the book of Revelation is the only book that tells us how long the thousand year, how long the millennial reign will be before we pass into the eternal age. 
So let's turn not to Isaiah, not to Jeremiah, not to Daniel, although they're tempting, very tempting, but we only have a few minutes. So with the few minutes we have, let's read about God's plan that follows Revelation 20 in the Old Testament Scripture so that Jesus is perfectly synchronized with what came before in the Old Testament. And I'll invite you to turn to the prophet Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter number... Ezekiel chapter number 37. And I thank each of you for turning there. As we turn in our Bibles now to chapter 37. When the book of Ezekiel begins with Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, where we're beginning here. Ezekiel, the prophet, is taken into a valley of dry bones. You've heard of the valley of dry bones. When we come to the end of the story of the valley of dry bones, verse 11 tells us what it is. I don't have to tell you. The Bible tells you what the story of the Valley of Dry Bones is. It says this in verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. If you look at all these verses that precedes verse 11... I'm summarizing. They talk about a great resurrection of God's children. There's a glorious resurrection in the early verses of Ezekiel 37. And there is a resurrection in Revelation 20. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Ezekiel has a resurrection. That's what the first 10 verses tell us, and verse 11 summarizes it. Now, let's go to verse 12 and see what follows the, re the resurrection in Ezekiel. Chapter 37, verse 12, Ezekiel. Therefore prophesy, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, that's resurrection, and then what happens after the resurrection? Cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And what do you think that bringing them into the land of Israel might be for? To celebrate the arrival of a king and the setting up of a kingdom, a millennial kingdom. But let's read on. And ye shall know that I am Jehovah when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then ye shall know that I, the Lord Jehovah, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Now, that's 
the end of that segment. Now we're going to start with a whole new concept in verse 15. Then the word of the Lord came again unto me, Ezekiel, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick, and write upon it for Judah, Judah, and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. Now, remember when the Old Testament is written, at the end of the Old Testament, Israel is divided into two houses, Israel and Judah. When we celebrate the kingdom, the breach between the two houses, Judah and Israel, in the New Testament they would call it Jew and Gentile, meaning Judea and Israel of the divorce. They're brought together as one people. Now notice in verse 17, I will join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one. Now, verse 18, when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, What wilt, wilt thou not show us what these, what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Now, just a moment here. The word Lord there is Adonai, and the word God in capital letters is YHVH, it's the Tetragrammaton. Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows. I will put them even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in thine hand, and the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before thine, uh, their eyes. Watch carefully verse 21. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. One king shall be king to them all. They shall be no more two nations neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Ezekiel is going to take us a lot deeper into the kingdom millennial age than did the book of Revelation. Ezekiel is going to bring both houses of Israel together in preparation for that millennial kingdom. He's going to join Judah and Israel together as one people, one one confederate body of people in preparation for the kingdom. It's called the reunification of Judah and Israel in prophecy. The reunification of the two houses. And then we will notice they're made one nation, one nation, neither will they be divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, anymore at all. Verse 23, neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, 
and will cleanse them, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, now there's a great controversy that I want to dispel now. If you want to take the time to study this out on your own, you will be convinced that Jesus is the greater David that will sit on the throne in the kingdom. David will be in that kingdom, and he will be a part of that kingdom, and will play a major role, but he is not the king sitting on the throne. Who is the throne? Who is on the throne? Jesus is on the throne. May I remind you of what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 1, verse 32 and 33. Speaking of Jesus, he shall be great and shall be called the prophet of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, he shall reign for over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There shall be no end. So the greater David is Jesus. And David, my servant, I'm back in Ezekiel 37, 24. David, my servant, shall be king over them. They all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It, will be, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the, children, and the heathen shall know that I the Lord do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Now chapter 40, the book of Ezekiel is the only book in the Bible that sets up the millennial temple. Beginning in chapter 40, Ezekiel has the detail on the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the temple that's being raised up for the millennial kingdom. Now, before we leave Ezekiel there, I want to read one verse from chapter 43, verse number 7. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel for my, forever in my holy name, shall the house of Israel no more defile. So Ezekiel places the throne and the temple where Jesus will reign, and he puts it right where the book of Revelation is going to put it in the beloved city. So we come to the end of that chapter in Ezekiel 37. And we have a kingdom set up. Now how long does that kingdom last? Well, let's turn to Ezekiel 38 now and read the part of Ezekiel that matches the part of Revelation 20 that has Gog and Magog in it. Remember just a little 
while ago we were talking about Gog and Magog in Revelation 20. Remember, during the, le- the season that Satan was turned loose, Gog and Magog gathered this big army together against the beloved city. Now let's look at Revelation, or Ezekiel 38. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog. The very same terminology that is in Revelation 20, Gog and Magog. Drop down to verse 8, Revel- uh, Ezekiel 38, 8. 38, 8. After many days, after a thousand years, suppose... Thou shalt be visited in the latter years. Thou shalt come into the land. This is talking about what Gog and Magog's going to do. They'll be coming into the land that is brought back from the sword and gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste. Brought it, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. Now, They shall ascend and come like a storm and shall be like a cloud to cover the land. That's Gog and Magog coming to destroy the kingdom that we just set up in Ezekiel 37. Now go to verse 12. Gog and Magog, still the subject, they want to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are inhabited. And upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. This is millennial kingdom uh, discussion here. Now, verse 12, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely. They're in a kingdom. They've been there a thousand years and they're dwelling safely in that kingdom. Thou shalt, shalt thou not know it? And then Gog and Magog comes. Verse 16, thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, at the end of the millennium. And I will bring thee against my, my land, that the heathen may know me, that I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Drop down to verse 18. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come up against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. Now, moments ago, we read that God that fire came down from God in Revelation 20 and destroyed Gog and Magog. Did we read that? Yes, we did. So now let's read about the same event in Ezekiel 37, 37, and beginning in verse 19. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Verse 21, and I will call for a sword against him, that's Gog, and Magog throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead, this is God speaking, I, God Almighty, will plead against him with pestilence, that's plague, and with blood. 
and I will reign upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him and overflowing rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Did we read about Gog being destroyed by fire in Revelation 20? Well, now he's being destroyed again by hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus will I magnify myself, sanctify myself, and I will be known. I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am Jehovah. Now, summarizing, Ezekiel 37 begins with the resurrection of Israel out of their graves. Then it joins the two houses of Israel together. Then it puts them in a regathered state from all the nations where they've been divided and scattered. And it brings them into one nation, into one land, the land that God originally deeded to Abraham in perpetuity forever. God gave Abraham title to the center of the earth, and he gave him that title land forever. Now there's a counterfeit seed dwelling in that land today, but they'll be devoured and moved out of there in due time. So when we come then to the conclusion of Ezekiel 37, we have a kingdom set up, we have a millennial temple built, and Ezekiel 40 and thereafter describe the, 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 the nature of that huge temple that will fill the center of the capital city, and that will be where Jesus will reign. His throne will be in that, king, in that, sit, in that uh, sanctuary. So at this point in time, beloved, we're going to end by going back to the book of Revelation now. And here's what I think we can somewhat do if we had time. We could go to Isaiah chapter 10 and 11 and have a pattern that's somewhat parallel with the one that we just went through at Ezekiel. It seems like that the prophetic sections of the Bible prophesy a time when there will be great tribulation, adversity, Christ returns in power and glory, and a kingdom is established. That's what we seem to find as a pattern. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, we have then a confirmation of what the Old Testament is telling us. That there will be a millennial kingdom. That Christ will be reigning on that, uh, in that kingdom. That he will be there in that kingdom. They shall reign with Christ. They shall reign, they will be priests of Christ and of God priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So here's, your, here's the question before us. Is, there, is this a literal event, or is it figuratively, metaphorically, what is this? 
It's literal. It's real. If you take these verses and allegorize or turn them into a, a some kind of a metaphorical bit of nonsense, you destroy the very foundation of God's prophetic word. So why don't we just believe the book of Revelation for what it says? God said it. That's all we need to know. There's going to be a millennium. It's going to last 1,000 years. At the end of that millennium, Satan is turned loose. But he ends up being put into a prison with the beast and the false prophet. After which, we have the great white throne judgment. Now, here's something to think about. Do you know that death is not destroyed till the end of the millennium? Do you see that? Death is not destroyed until the end of the millennium. Has no impact upon those that are resurrected because they're resurrected into glorified bodies and they will never die again. There's a whole world of theology tucked into the thousand year reign. May I ask just a few questions about that great period of time? Do you know that I can turn to Isaiah chapter 65 and it will describe life in that kingdom? If I turn to Isaiah chapter 11, it will talk about life in that kingdom. The Old Testament prophets are filled with information about life in the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Now here's what is, for me, very beautiful, church. Do you know that there are two verses in the Bible that tell us, one is Isaiah 64, chapter number 64, verse 4, Isaiah 64, 4, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen beside thee, O God, what he hath prepared for them that wait for him. We have no concept of the glory that's coming, people. We have, it's impossible for us with human minds to understand the promises of God that will be fulfilled in a glorious kingdom. But I want you to know that Isaiah 64 verse 4 was considered so important to God that he repeated it in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, the Bible says, but as it had written, as it is written, Isaiah 64, verse 4, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Is there anyone here today that would have any idea of what lies ahead for those who cross the finish line and view the future that God has planned. 
we are on a journey now, and we're in a race. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 12, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, bore the cross of this world, the trials and the tribulations, bore the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's a kingdom coming. Now people can argue about the nature of that kingdom, and they can quibble about a jillion different things associated with that kingdom, but the reality of the kingdom of God is as literal, it's as real as your existence in this chapel this morning. It's a real thing. It's coming. Christ is coming. And in closing this lesson, let me say this, people. When Christ comes back, everything will, will unfold in Fast, quick, simultaneous action. There will be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. The rest of the dead will be raised at the end of the thousand year millennium. So there's going to be a resurrection of the dead that have died in Christ. Then there's going to be a translation of everyone that's living. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there will be a translation of everyone who's alive when Jesus comes back. In a moment, in a twinkling, you will be transferred from terrestrial, terrestrial existence to celestial existence. Thirdly, there will be a regathering of all the translated, resurrected people. And they're going to be gathered together in the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the third thing that's going to happen. The fourth thing that's going to happen is that there is going to be a marvelous, marvelous marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 6, 7, and 8, and other places confirm that marriage coming. And then the other event that will happen will be the organization of a whole plan of worship in the tabernacle sanctuary of the millennial reign. Finally, when Jesus comes back, the day of vengeance will begin for the unrighteous. The battle of Armageddon will be there. And I'm going to end this discussion today by going to Revelation 19 and ending it with these little verses. Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven opened. This is the return of Jesus. Ahead of the thousand-year millennium. Not after, not post-millennial, 
Post-millennial people believe it's going to come after the thousand years is over. All millennial people believe that he's reigning in heaven right now. And they think that the thousand years is going on in heaven. That's one view of all millennialism. Heaven is open. He that set upon him, the white horse was called faithful and true. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. The day of vengeance will be a bloody mess. Christ will dispense with all the wicked of this world. His eyes were a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Now who's riding the white horses following Jesus into the battle? All the angels and all the saints. Angels and saints are on those, they're riding those, they're in their battle gear. The armies in heaven followed them upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth with a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, ruling them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God and on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The battle of Armageddon will be underway when Jesus arrives. The battle of Armageddon, the final battle where blood comes flowing from the bodies of the wicked. So what we are going to do now is end this study of Revelation 20. We realize that many things will be somewhat confusing, but the little boat we're in has not drifted too far out to sea, I pray. I pray that we have not been caught in a current that's going to sweep us into a place we don't want to be. Shall we all be standing?